Um, Our reading is taken from uh, Mark, chapter 12, and we're going to be starting at verse 35. And in the Church Bible, uh, that's on page 1018. Jesus is still in the temple at this stage. While Jesus was teaching in the temple courts, he asked, why do the teachers of the law say that the Messiah is the son of David? David himself, speaking by the Holy Spirit, declared, the Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. David himself called him Lord. How can this then be his son? The large crowd listened to him with delight. As he taught, Jesus said, Watch out for the teachers of the law. They like to walk around in flowing robes and be greeted with respect in the marketplaces. And they have the most important seats in the synagogues and the places of honour at banquets. They devour widows' houses and for a show make lengthy prayers. These men will be punished most severely. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few pence. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all that she had to live on. Sometimes uh, the answers are not where we would like to think to look we find the thing we're looking for not in the obvious place but uh, in some on the back kind of place somebody perhaps who's flashy and impressive and you think oh they're not going to know what they're the person to but actually if we were to follow their advice we would end up ruined whereas there might be somebody else who's just quietly getting on with their life not trying to say hey guys listen to me who's actually they're the ones who knows what's what We need to be careful about who we listen to, who we copy and emulate, uh, what we aim at, because there are some people who are very, very eager for us to follow them and listen to them and do what they say. But they're people we should avoid like the plague, whereas there are other people who wouldn't dream of drawing attention to themselves who are actually the ones on the right track. Now, uh, recently in Mark's Gospel, we've been reading about Jesus looking at the religious system of his day and finding it utterly lacking. He's been telling us what it would really look like to live for God, giving the Lord our all, our heart, soul, mind, strength, 
and just how many have got it completely wrong. Uh, in the passage we just read, Jesus draws our attention to a bad and a good example of that. So you've got the teachers of the law and the people like them, the religious leaders. They're surely the good example, aren't they? They're the leaders. They must know what's what. But no, they are the bad examples. They seem to know their stuff. It's their job to teach. But they don't know what they need to know. And far from being the upstanding pillars of the community they're supposed to be, they are not the sort of people you want to be like. Whereas there's a better example found in somebody who just sort of sneaks in at the back and is not trying to be seen whatsoever. We're going to start uh, by looking at this bad example first. And it's the teachers of the law. They're a bad example in two ways. Uh, The first of which is this, underestimating the Messiah. That's their big problem is they underestimate the Messiah. They undervalue, downplay just how great the Christ will be when he comes. So let's have a look at verse 35 to 37 uh, to refresh our memories again. It says, while Jesus was teaching in the temple courts, he asked, why do the teachers of the law say that the Messiah is the son of David? David himself, speaking by the Holy Spirit, declared, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put all your enemies under your feet. David himself calls him Lord. How then can he be his son? Now, for a few weeks, the teachers of the law and their ilk, we've been reading about them grilling Jesus with lots of different questions on different topics. And uh, Jesus has been answering them expertly till we get to verse 34. And it says, from then on, no one dared ask him any more questions. That's how good he's been answering their questions. They say, well, I'll give up now. But Jesus is not finished. Now they've stopped asking him questions. He goes on the offensive and says, right, I'm going to ask some questions of my own. Why do these guys say the Messiah is the son of David? Come on, what, what, what's that all about? Now, he's talking about the Messiah, the king that God promised in the Old Testament, the one that people were waiting for who would come to rule and to rescue God's people. If you ask the teachers of the law, who's this Messiah going to be? They would say he will be the son of David, the great King David. He was promised one of his descendants will be king forever. So when this Messiah comes, he will be the son, or more likely the kind of great, 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 great grandson of King David. And Jesus challenges them on this. Now you might think, if you are someone who's been around church a bit, you know your Bibles, you might think, what is wrong with that? (laughs) Isn't Jesus the son of David? And yes, he is. But that's not all he is. What he's challenging them on here, it's not that their theology is inaccurate, it's that it's inadequate. The Messiah is the son of David, absolutely, but he is also so much more than that, and that's what they've missed. So Jesus quotes from Psalm 110, verse 1, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put all your enemies under your feet. Psalm 110 is all about the Messiah, God's promised king. And it's saying when this Messiah comes, the Lord will give him the highest possible position. He will be sat at God's right hand. And God is going to give him complete victory and authority with all his enemies under his feet. Imagine a a hunter kind of capturing a wild animal and then, you know, posing with his foot on top of it, that sort of thing. Say, that's going to be your enemies 
under your feet or, or a boxer sort of standing over their defeated opponent. That's going to be the Messiah. Or more literally, a little stool or a sort of poof kind of thing. When you're sat on the sofa, you've got your feet up. Whatever that thing you put your feet up on, that is going to be what his enemies are like to him. He's going to have absolute, total victory. You cannot be greater than this great Messiah. So we mustn't underestimate him, being given the highest possible position. David himself didn't underestimate him. He, he began that psalm by saying, the Lord said to my Lord. The first Lord in that is the Lord God. In the original Hebrew, it's Yahweh, the, the great I am, the Lord in capital letters. So God is saying something to the Messiah, who David calls my Lord. And Jesus is quizzing them on that in verse 37. David calls this king Lord. So how can he be his son? In that culture, you just would never do that. A father would never call his son Lord or Master. It would be the other way around. The older relative is always going to be held in higher honour, especially when it comes to a king. A king would never use the higher title for their junior relative. You know, the, the, the King Charles isn't going to turn to one of his grandchildren and go like, oh, my Lord, that kind of thing. That's just not how it works. And so Jesus is giving him this puzzle to solve and say, how does that work? If this king who's coming later is just going to be his son, why is he calling him Lord? That's a, a common way they did theological debates. Then you take two things that are both true, but sound like they're contradictory. And you go, go on then, scribe, scholar, explain to me how these two things fit together. How can the Messiah be son of David if David calls him Lord? Your time starts now. Now, the answer can't be, oh, the Messiah isn't the son of David then, because we know that he will be. It must be that he's not merely the son of David. We should be looking for a Messiah who is descended from David biologically, but who's also more than that, someone who manages to be David's son and David's master, and only Jesus fits the bill for that. Humanly speaking, he's from the right family tree, his mother, Mary, from David's line, his adopted father, Joseph, as well. So he qualifies twice over. So he is a son of David, but more than that, he's God come in the flesh. He's human and divine, the son of David and the God of David in one unique person. But the teachers of the law vastly underestimated him. They were the Bible experts and they hadn't read what the Bible says. The whole point of the Old Testament is to get us ready for this Messiah. That's quite a major thing to have missed. They were there to teach the people, and they've got no idea what kind of king they're looking for. They, they were looking for just a, a human king, someone who was going to bring national military deliverance from these Romans who were occupying them, and that's it. Way, 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 way less than what God had promised. And so it's no wonder they don't recognise the Messiah when he stood there right in front of him. Do we recognise him? Do we recognise Jesus as the one we're looking for? As the one promised by God to put things right? Do we hold Jesus to be the greatest of all? That he is ruling at God's right hand and there is no one greater? Or do we underestimate him? Just a, a human teacher. Just an interesting historical figure. 
do we maybe say the right things, but really in our hearts, he's a religious person for Sundays and special occasions. He's not actually sat at the right hand of God, ruling over my entire life. It's possible to know a lot and yet be very wrong about Jesus. And we need to watch out for those who downplay Christ, who don't make everything about him. These teachers of the law, they are bad examples to follow because they underestimate the Messiah. If somebody does not make everything about Jesus, do not follow them. They're also bad examples for overestimating themselves. As is so often the way, when somebody downplays Jesus, they overfocus on themselves. And so, verse 38 to 40, Jesus turns from questioning their theology to outright challenging them. So, verse 38 says, As he taught, Jesus said, Watch out for the teachers of the law. That would have been an amazing thing to say in the temple. To literally just stand up and go, Watch out for him and him and him. Watch out for the people who run this place. Watch out for them. Beware, steer clear, because they overestimate themselves. They are show-offs. They are religious peacocks strutting around, parading their own greatness. And we need to read how Jesus describes them so we know what to avoid. Jesus said they like to walk around in flowing robes. They dress to impress. The scribes, the, the teachers of the law, tend to wore, uh, wear long white linen robes reaching down to their feet. You can't really wear that normally unless you're not planning on doing any work. <laughs> if you're wearing long white linen robes, very different to what ordinary people would wear. It's a mark of distinction. It's very luxurious. And it showed them. You could just look at them and immediately go, wow, that must be somebody very special, somebody very holy. And they walked about in this regalia so that everyone could see. It wasn't a case of like, well, they wore it when they were doing the things. No, they just loved to walk about wearing it, keeping their uniform on so everyone gets to see. And then you point it out and they go, oh, this whole thing. Oh, well, you know, well, I am a teacher of the law, you know. Well, watch out for people like that. People who refuse to dress like a normal person. Whether that is popes with golden cloaks and special hats, or, or bishops in purple gowns and embroidered scarves. I love to just walk around like that, or prosperity preachers with Armani suits. And it's not just other people with their funny outfits in their other kinds of churches. We need to watch out for anybody who is dressing to communicate, I am a special person worthy of special respect. I'm not like you, so that's why I don't dress like you. You can do that through very elaborate clerical garb and this symbolises that and my brooch has this. and my. Or you can do it through the other direction of being so... I want you to see just how desperately authentic I am. Look at, look at how scruffy I am. That just shows how much I must be really spiritual. It's not about the clothes really. It's about the attitude, isn't it? It's the teacher of the law loved the robes because they loved the respect so Jesus says they like to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces. So when they walked past, you were supposed to stand up. You were supposed to give a little bow, supposed to greet them with a special touch. Good morning, Reverend. Good morning, Father. Good morning, Pastor Nathan. Good morning, most highly and exalted such and such. And they were real sticklers for stuff like that. It is Rabbi Smith, thank you. I did not spend 15 years studying to be called Mr. Thank you very much. 
call me by my title. They love to be well-known, to be that famous face around town, treated like a VIP. Verse 39 talks about them loving to have the most important seats in the synagogues and the places of honour at banquets. They enjoyed all the perks that came with the job. So in, in, in the synagogue, you would have the, the cheap seats, if you like, where everybody gets to sit. But then there's the special reserve section for the dignitaries, extra comfy seats maybe, but in full view of everybody. I don't know if you've ever been to one of those kind of churches. I've been to some of those where the minister is up in the pulpit, whatever it's, you know, six foot above contradiction or whatever it's called, but very, very high. I, I hope that we're only high up here so I can see you and you can see me, but those sorts of things where we're very, very high. And then all the elders would be sat in chairs on the stage below facing the congregation. Why would you do that? Why would you do that? I mean, I, I may, I'm... I get very self-conscious even with these two chairs here, <laughs> and they're just there so you don't have to keep getting up and down all the time. They're not supposed to be places of honour. But I'm sure we could dress them up like that. I'm sure we could say, if you get to sit on this chair, well, you must be someone very special indeed. And we say, no, that's absolute rubbish. Don't do any of that. For these people, they wanted to hobnob with the great and the good. So, so it was all about their reputation. And they made a big song and dance out of their spirituality. Verse 40 says that for a show, they make lengthy prayers. Now, it's good to pray. There's nothing wrong with praying a lot. But there isn't anything especially holy about being long-winded either. We must realize God is not listening more closely if we pray very impressively, if we use long words or you use a sort of strange churchy voice. Oh Lord, we come before you this most holy and blessed of days. Nobody talks like that. Let's just talk normally. But the teachers, all they want to be seen that to pray on a level beyond mere mortals. So whether that is up the front whether that is in a smaller prayer meeting type situation, whenever they had the chance, it's all a big fat show. Jason Meyer said, their prayers are long like their clothes and for the same reason, to draw attention to themselves. The problem isn't the length of it, it's that they're doing it for a show. It's just pretense, it's not genuine, it's not for the Lord, it's for their admiring fans. And that is a danger for all of us, isn't it? Doing whatever it is we do so that people will notice us. Whether that's how we sing or how we pray or how we preach or how we serve or whatever it is we're doing. Our ministries, however we serve, can very easily become an opportunity to earn people's approval, receive praise, to show off. The teachers of the law were just like that. They overestimated themselves. And as soon as you do that, you become dangerous because it, it stops being about serving other people. It stops being about serving God. It becomes about yourself. It becomes about what you can get rather than what you can give. And Jesus says, watch out for that. Don't be like that. Don't be taken in by that. His harshest criticism comes at the start of verse 40 where he says they devour widows' houses. So they seem very holy up the front, behind closed doors. They are wolves. They are monsters who gobble people up. 
devouring widows' houses. That's about abusing those they should care for, particularly financial abuse, taking advantage of people and their generosity, taking advantage of their hospitality. I mean, literally eating them out of house and home. It's devouring their houses, encouraging excessive gift-giving to them personally. Now, in a time when women were not well-educated or protected, sometimes, this is a real thing I've seen in various places about the history of the time, uh, you could make a teacher of the law or another synagogue leader the executor of your will. It's a real thing. And so when they die, that person will take care of everything. The widow will be protected, they will be provided for, and that's going to be great, isn't it? But that just left things wide open to abuse. And so some of them would be unscrupulous. They would exploit the position and say, oh, well, what your husband meant to happen was that I get this and I get that. And, and, and so really, you're left with nothing. They somehow get the house for themselves. Can you imagine that happening? When I worked uh, for Training Standards, it was pretty well agreed. Uh, people going door to door, conning old ladies out of their life savings was the lowest of the low. For a Christian, for a leader, for a religious person to do something like that ought to be unthinkable. Religious leaders abusing their position to embezzle or steal or cheat on their expenses or anything like that. Jesus has nothing but condemnation for people like that. He says these men will be punished most severely what about their long prayers? What about their reputation? What about that? That just makes it worse. Can I say to you, if you've been burnt by somebody like this, please know Jesus is on your side. They do not represent him. He is the one shouting loudest, watch out for people like that. So by all means, let's watch out. Let's run away from people like that. But let's not run away from Jesus, because that's often done, isn't it? I couldn't want anything, I don't want anything to do with God, I don't want anything to do with church because of those people. Well, Jesus is the one telling us to get away. Let's run away from people like that, but let's not run away from him. Let's run to him, the one who understands more than anybody what it's like to be attacked by people like this, killed by people like this. It is a stern warning from Jesus, isn't it? Religion will not save anybody. Nobody was more religious than they were, but it was a show. It was a performance. So we need to watch out for people like that. Watch out for them because they are crooks. And watch out for them in case we become like them. Because most of us aren't going to do this, but sin in all of us is going to tend towards being a bit like this making it about us being more fixated on getting respect than on Jesus being given respect. We need to watch out for this. The teachers of the law, they were very bad examples. They were not what Jesus is looking for, not what the Lord wants. Because they overestimated the Messiah. No, that is not true. That is impossible. They underestimated the Messiah. And they overestimated themselves. But this little encounter ends on a real positive because not everybody in the temple is a lost cause jesus does think that there are people who are good examples and he spots one he points them out 
and says, no, that's what I'm talking about. That's what you need to follow. That's the sort of person to admire. Not one of the impressive leaders, but this poor widow. She is a good example of somebody humbly giving their all. Humbly giving their all. That's what we should be doing. So in verse 41, after his sermon, he sits down and starts people watching. He's out in the main courtyard. Uh, the main courtyard of the temple, there would have been 13 big donation boxes uh, dotted around the edge. And they had a big sort of metal trumpet-shaped thing that you would pop the money into, and it would slide down and into the box. Um, and if you weren't careful, it could make quite a lot of noise. I think that's what Jesus is getting at when he talks about people blowing the trumpets before them when they give. It's saying that little trumpet thing. It's as if they're picking it up and going, look at me. Uh, he's saying your coins will jangle against the sides. So you can tell if someone is being very generous. Because it sounds like a sort of Las Vegas slot machine kind of thing. Where it's ching, 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 ching. Ooh, there's somebody very generous. Jesus is watching this happen. We're told many rich people threw in large amounts. Ching, 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 ching. And then a little old lady comes along in verse 42. But a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few pence. Now, I can't imagine that made much noise, just a blink, blink, that kind of thing. It's the smallest ones they had. The sort of coins, if you drop it on the street, you might not bother to pick it up. It's almost worthless. But Jesus says, that is so wonderful. That is wonderful. Everybody, stop. Stop what you're doing. Look. Look at this. Verse 43, it says, Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put into the treasury more than all the others. To which they might say, no, she hasn't. <laughs> Didn't you see that everybody else was putting in loads? Everybody else was putting in loads. That woman barely put in anything. And Jesus says, no, she put in more than everybody. Because, verse 44, they all gave out of their wealth. But she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. So it's less money, but more generous. We need to take that seriously. According to Jesus, generosity is not about how many zeros are at the end of the figure. It is about our heart. John Wesley said about giving, he said that we should ask not how much of my money will I give to God, but how much of God's money will I keep for myself? And that seems to be Jesus' focus here, is how much money is going to be left after the gift. Now, if we have a lot of money, it's right that we should give a lot of money. He's not criticizing big givers per se. It's just that when you have a lot, it is possible to set up a standing order and just forget about it. It's not impacting you. It doesn't change the kind of holiday you can have. It doesn't change anything about your lifestyle. You've got more than enough left over. Whereas this woman's giving, her generosity, really cost her. She put in two coins. Now, if she'd only put in one, you might think, well, that's all she had. She put in two, which means she could have kept one back for herself and have something. But she didn't. She gave it all. She put in everything. And she didn't go, hey, everybody, last two coins. She just did it. She, wasn't expect she probably would have been mortified at the idea of Jesus pointing her out and then it being in our Bibles for us all to know. Put, put it in, but don't put my name. You know, the last teacher of the law that Jesus spoke to had asked him, what's the most important commandment? 
And Jesus had answered in verse 30, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. See what's happening? God requires all of us. Not putting on a show, truly loving him with all that we are. And who is the one doing that? Is it the religious leaders who should be teaching people where to go? No, it's this poor widow. Don't be fooled by outward appearances. The teachers are not as good as they look. And the widow's coins are not as tiny as they look. She is now broke, but they are spiritually bankrupt. She loves the Lord her God with all of her heart and all of her soul, and literally all of her money. Now, should we be challenged by this, do you think, about how we give, how much we give? Absolutely. That is worth reflecting on later when you go home. If you're married, maybe have a, a chat with your spouse and say, hey, what, how, what can we do about this? Absolutely. But is Jesus saying we should literally give away our last two pennies? Probably not, no. Jesus is praising her generosity, but the context of the whole thing is denouncing the temple for exploiting the poor. He is furious at the leaders who devour widows' houses. The very next bit, a widow comes and gives these leaders everything she owns. I don't think that's a good thing. He's praising her. She humbly gives her all. That is wonderful, whilst at the same time condemning these men for accepting it. So no, I don't think God is asking us to give to the point where we go into debt or we make ourselves homeless. If that was our situation, the church should be giving money to you. We should be helping you, not exploiting you. But this lady's still a wonderful example, isn't she? That An example that generosity is possible, even if you don't have hardly anything. And that the Lord sees that. He sees every little thing we do for him, even if nobody else notices. And he values it. The smallest gift, the smallest gift given in love, that is far more important than the biggest gesture done out of pride. The Lord loves that because that's so much more where his heart is. If we're talking about good examples of doing this, surely Jesus is the greatest. He is that Messiah. He is the Lord that David talked about, God's right hand. But he doesn't rest on that privileged position. He comes to serve. He doesn't flounce around in special robes. He doesn't come demanding special treatment. He's willing to be insulted. He's willing to be disrespected. He humbly gives his all, pouring out his life for us. Whether we are poor sinners, whether we are proud show-offs, he comes to pour out his life for anybody who will humbly turn to him, who will humble themselves and say, I need that. I can put on a show, it's not enough, because you don't want a show, Lord. You want my heart, and even that is not enough. We need to turn to him as our great king, our great Lord. We need to give up the axe. We need to stop attention-seeking religiously. We need to stop taking advantage of other people. And instead, humbly give ourselves, give our all to Jesus. Let me pray. Father, thank you so much that... 
you are more interested in our hearts. Thank you for the way that the Lord Jesus is very, very clear about what he wants. And yet we know that we can so easily be more like the teachers of the law than like those that widow. We can so easily want people to notice us, want people to celebrate, respect, congratulate us, take advantage of other people. We pray that you would help us to see that for what it is and avoid it, to run away from it, to repent of it, and instead to seek to give you our all like the, the poor widow did. There's, we don't have much to give, but we want you to have it. And we pray that you'd help us to live lives like that because that is the kind of God you are who sent his son to be just like that for us. And we ask this in his name. Amen.